covered Zacharias, and last week we covered Joseph. Uh, this week we're going to co- cover the wise men, okay? And there's a lot to learn about the wise men. Somebody was telling me one time, he said the reason Jesus could have never been born in Washington, D.C. was they never found three wise men. <laughs> I believe that. But anyway, so, uh, I, so today we're going to look at these wise men, and it's kind of interesting because um, there's a lot of myth that goes along with the things that come with Christmas that really don't have a lot to do with Scripture, and it's really important to separate fact from fiction. Uh, sometimes over time, uh, to make the story more palatable, uh, sometimes people embellish a few things, add a few things, uh, subtract a few things, so we're going to try to separate uh, between fact and fiction. So today, uh, I titled the message, The Truth About the Wise Men. So first, I'm going to give you some basics. Now, you're going to think, man, why do we need to know all this stuff? But you really do trust me on this one. Okay, the wise men that were mentioned in the Christmas story were actually called magi. They were actually called magi. Now, in traditional Christmas lore, they were said to be three wise men or three kings. Anybody ever hear that? Remember that song? Maybe three kings? What do you think when you hear that? I got to know if anybody else is as juvenile as me. Trying to smoke a rubber cigar. You guys don't remember that? Okay, never mind. It's like I'm looking at everybody and they're going, what, what are you talking about? It's the meds. It's the meds. No, but anyway, um, so, you know, the Bible actually never specifies how many there were. Uh, the Bible also never really says anything about them being kings. I understand where it came from. I don't understand where, uh, how it blew up like it did, but it never really specifies that. But the Magi were really revered. They were highly, highly revered in that culture. And a lot of times they would refer to people like that as kings because they saw them as powerful leaders with influence. So they would refer to them as kings as uh, just out of respect. Now in Matthew it says they were from the east. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2 starting in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now the phrase, the east, in the Greek is anatole in the Greek, and it means rising. So a lot, belie- a lot of people and a lot of theologians believe that the more accurate translation would be those who came from the rising sun, because they were from the east. So that really has no bearing on anything, but you're welcome. That's how it came about. All right. Now, the first, I'd like to take a look at the background of the Magi. Okay, the Greek word for Magi is magos. It's magos. And originally, it referred to a caste of Median priests from the area of Media. Uh, and they were, they were um, I mean, they were really prevalent, and they were really powerful in, in the Media area. But uh, they, were, they even had their own tribe. They were considered one of six tribes. So they grew to be very powerful, uh, the whole group of them did. But the Magi were basically a pagan religious group. They were mystics, and they had a cult-like origin. Now, I know a lot of people think of the three wise men. They think of the Magi and think, gosh, those were probably such godly men. Yeah, nope. They were not godly men. Um, they did have some reverence, but they were from cult-like origin. They practiced divination. Uh, they practiced, like, fortune-telling. They practiced astrology and astronomy. And they were scientific. They were some of the earliest scientists. But the word Magi is where we get the word magician from. And so they, a lot of it was cult-like, very cult-like. Uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the practices they picked up that were cult-like, they got from the Chaldeans when they were in Chaldea. They, got, they picked up some of their, uh, their cult-like worship. Now, when the Persians conquered the region of Judea, the, um, the uh, Magi retained their power. 
and this, so they stayed powerful even though they were in captivity. And as they assimilated into the Persian culture, they actually grew in power and grew in stature. Uh, and so they ended up being highly reverenced. Even in the captive government, they became really highly reverenced. Uh, now, they actually fell under uh, the sway of a religion that they actually started following. It was called Zoroastrian. So Zoroastrian was their religion, which is where the Spanish sword fighter Zorro got his name. That's a lie, but it just sounded really cool. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if it were cool, though? Wouldn't it? If that were true, that'd be cool as heck. Then we could put, like, Zorro in Christian lore, or Christmas lore. Anyway, but, uh, so Zorro, <laughs> Zoroastrianism is a monotheistic and dualistic uh, religion. They were heavily pagan, and they liked to worship the elements. They were into worshiping the elements. They worshiped things like the air uh, and the earth, and they uh, worshiped water, uh, and they worshiped fire. And that was their primary uh, th- object of the elements that they liked to worship was fire. Now, like Christians and Jews, the Zoroastrians uh, also believed in a great deliverer, one great deliverer that was coming. There was their own prophecies from their own religion that said there's going to be a great deliverer who's going to come, uh, and he's going to set them free from evil. That was, uh, that was their prophecy. So the Magi, they claimed to have this host of special powers, but still they were looking for one more powerful than them that was coming that was going to set them free. So you can see how they might have been drawn to uh, the Christian deliverer, right? So they claimed to have the ability to prophesy. And one of the big things that they did, and this is what made them popular with a lot of kings, was they claimed to have the ability to interpret dreams, okay? And that's not all. Wait, um, there's more. They also claim to be able to be the mediators between man and God, which is blasphemous. You know what I mean? They basically, that's Jesus' job, to be the mediator between man and God. They claim to have that ability uh, also. And they also said that they could predict the future. So uh, a lot of your tarot card stuff has, their, has a root in this type, this type of uh, paganism. Now, uh, people have been deceived by these people for centuries. It's funny, as I read this and as I was studying this, I thought to myself, you still see a lot of these practices going on. There's fortune tellers make a fortune. Fortune tellers make a ton of money uh, in this country and around the world because they claim to have these powers. And I've always thought to myself, why is that? And the reason is, generally, we just don't like trusting our future to anybody else but us. I mean, that's really how it is. We don't want to surrender our future to anyone, not even to God. We want to be in control of our own destiny. How many times have you heard that? You know, you're in control of your own destiny. That's, I mean, they, they believed it then, and they still believe it now. And most people still would rather trust themselves and God uh, with their destiny. But many people feel that if they can know their future, they can control their future. And so a lot of people get tied up in that, and they base their relationships, their profession, everything on their fortune tellers and, their, and uh, the mediums they go to and things like that. So... It has survived, that, that stuff has survived, and all the self-centeredness in us is what drives us to keep that alive. People just don't trust anyone more than themselves. And in most people's eyes, another thing is, w- along with trust and surrender comes accountability. And nobody wants to be accountable to anybody other than themselves. They just don't want that. Have you ever noticed you have to teach kids to come under submission to you? You have to teach them that there's an authority structure. And parents who don't teach their kids that... I mean, I think that the, the actual biblical definition is brats, but people who don't teach them to mind, the problem is, is that if they don't listen to mom and dad, they're not going to listen to school teachers. If they don't listen to mom and dad, they're not going to listen to their 
a Sunday school teacher. They're not going to listen to the police. They're not going to listen to judges. They're not going to follow laws because if the very people who brought them into this world cannot control them, how can you expect people who have no real affiliation with them to have any accountability with them? So it's kind of sad that this mindset still exists, but it does. Now, some biblical references. I'm going to go on a rant on all that, but the word magi in the Old Testament Hebrew uh, refers to magicians or soothsayers. Magicians and soothsayers. Now, don't take me wrong. It's harmless to people who do, you know, illusions for kids' parties and stuff like that. I'm, don't go around saying, ah, pagan. I'm not saying that. You know, those, those people will admit that what they do is just illusion. It's tricks. It's, you know, things like that. But the magicians of the Old Testament, they actually claimed to have divine powers. They claimed that what they were doing was not an illusion. It was power. Now, remember in Exodus when Pharaoh had to go against two magicians? Remember they threw a staff down and it turned into snakes? And Pharaoh had thrown his staff down. It was a snake. They threw theirs down because they were empowered by the enemy. And both theirs turned into snakes. And this is one of the coolest sections of Scripture in the Bible. I almost gave you the whole Scripture, but we'd be here forever. Um, when they threw theirs down, Moses' snake ate theirs. Is that not the coolest thing ever? <laughs> Do you see that? I don't know. I'm a weirdo. I just thought that would be really cool to see that. But these are the same kind of people that he had to, to deal with. Now, if you read the book of Daniel, which is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, is the book of Daniel. Love it. I've preached through it a couple times. Um, the book of Daniel mentions them many, many times. Daniel had to deal with magicians and soothsayers or magi uh, many, many times. Like, for instance, just some examples in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5. Uh, most notably in chapter 4, 9, and 5, 11. We'll just look at 4, 9. But in 4, 9, some people get confused here because what they call Daniel. Uh, it says, oh, Belteshazzar, which Belteshazzar was a name that Nebuchadnezzar gave to Daniel so he would have a pagan name. Uh, oh, Belteshazzar, or Daniel, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream which I have seen along with its interpretation. See, he expected them to be able to interpret dreams. When he saw that Daniel had powers from God, he believed that that was the same powers that was driving the magi at that time or the magicians and the soothsayers. So when he said chief of the magicians, he wasn't really a chief of their, of their sect. That's not what it was. He just assumed that since he had shown so much power and God had given the ability to interpret dreams for the king, he just assumed that he was the chief of all magicians at that time. That's why he called him chief of the magicians. So it wasn't a name that Daniel actually claimed to have. Now, it was the Magi, do you, you remember in the scripture when the king had a dream, and it troubled him. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he called for all the magicians, all the Magi, to come in and interpret his dream. And the stakes were pretty high, because it's not like they got a slap on the wrist. If they gave him the wrong interpretation, he'd kill him, right? So he called them in, and usually what they would do when they call people like that in, no one wants to tell the king that bad things are coming. So they would always say, oh, these dreams mean, I'm, I'm sure they said stuff like, these dreams mean you're going to get more powerful, you're going to, you know, you're going to have more wives, more wealth, you know, whatever the case may be, that they always wanted to tickle his ears. But none of them, none of them could interpret the dream except Daniel. So when Daniel interpreted their dream, he gave the glory to God, and that's when they knew that his power or the power that came from God was greater than the power from these magicians and these soothsayers. Now, this is the next section. Now, in the New Testament, the Magi of the New Testament, this is probably more like what we're going into for Christmas. Matthew 2, 1 through 6. 
He says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? You might want to underscore that. Uh, For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you in Bethlehem, land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler, notice it's capital H, I mean capital W, a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Magi of Matthew were likely direct descendants from the Magi that Daniel had to deal with back in the book of Daniel. They were from that same sect of people, right? The same ones he encountered. This is fast forward in the New Testament. And they also likely came and had their, their origin from the Parthian Empire, which is, which is, you know, the Persian Empire. And they probably stayed behind when the, Medes, uh, when the Persians moved out and returned the Jews, right? Because the Jews were under captivity of the Persians for a while. They actually stayed behind with Israel. They didn't go. Most of them didn't go with the Persians. And many people believe the reason they didn't go with the Persians and instead stayed with Israel was they were fascinated by this Hebrew prophecy of a coming Messiah. It fascinated them because they thought, is there a connection? Is there a connection between our deliverer of evil from evil and and their great deliverer, Savior of the world? Is there a connection? So a lot of them stayed behind to see if they would get to see the prophecies come true. And I think they were waiting to see if their deliverer was the same as ours. I think that's what they were staying behind to see. And our great deliverer was heavily influencing them. So they had their claims of supernatural abilities, uh, and their supernatural abilities and all the pagan worship that they had doesn't seem to jive with Christianity, but they both had one common denominator, and that was the great deliverer. Now, because of their great supernatural abilities and powers and all the claims they made, they were recognized immediately because they'd been heard about since the days of Daniel, obviously. They were, they were recognized immediately as having authority. They saw them as authoritative and influential. Uh, and you never saw many kings trying to throw the Magi out because they thought they had those special powers, right? And especially since they brought their practice of astronomy and astrology and future-telling, fortune-telling, however you want to say it, they brought all that with them. Uh, and so, I mean, all that came from their reading of the stars. They claimed to be able to read the stars. And remember, they found Jesus because they saw his star. They saw his star. That, that wasn't that they were looking for the star of Jesus. They were studying the stars. That's what they did, you know, and they're trying to get divination from that. And so they saw that, so that kind of fascinated them. Uh, but because of this, you know, Herod was a control freak. Herod was a control freak, and he wanted any edge he could have. And he thought, you know, this is a good thing. I want to take advantage of knowing the future. I want to know the future. It can make me a more powerful king. See, he believed in their power, and he believed in their influence. So he said, I'm going to use this to my advantage. One thing you'll know about Herod, and there are many Herods mentioned in the scriptures. Herod was very paranoid. He did not like competition for the throne. He didn't like it at all. As a matter of fact, he had brothers, uncles, children murdered so they would never have a claim to his throne. 
He didn't want any competition. So if anybody could possibly take his throne, he was afraid they would find a way to assassinate him and steal his throne. So he was killing children, his children, his relatives, everybody that was a male that could ascend to the throne so that he would have no competition and nobody would try to kill him. So the guy was certifiable. He was nuts, right? He'd kill his own family members. Now imagine, here's this guy who is killing any family member that opposes him, and all of a sudden, magi enter, which are people that he greatly respects and understands about their great abilities, and they come saying, where is this king of the Jews? Now you realize they said this to the king of the Jews, <laughs> and a man who had tried to wipe out anybody that could have any access to his throne probably said, come again, where's who? You know, where is this one called King of the Jews who is supposed to be born, this Messiah? And he heard that, right? They called Jesus the King of the Jews, and this threw him into full defense mode. Probably because, you know, this Herod that we're talking about, remember there were several different Herods, this Herod that we were talking about was not a real Jew. A, re a non-Jew was not allowed to sit on the throne of David. But the Romans, when they took control and were reigning over uh, the Jews, put him in charge because they could control him. They put him in charge on the throne of David, and he was not a real Jew. Actually, this is as blasphemous as it could get. He was from a line that was an enemy to the Jews. He was an Edomite from the line of Esau. Remember Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. He was from the line of Esau. By the way, side note, when it says Jacob, I loved, and Esau, I hated, it's talking about two nations. Right? And the word hate doesn't mean hate like we think it. It meant he had a place of less favor is what it meant in the Hebrew at that time. But you've got to think about this. This was actually the enemy of Israel. His line was the enemy of Israel, and Rome put him on the throne, on the throne of David. Right? So he was really, really paranoid. He was paranoid because he knew the Jews hated him. The Jews didn't want him on the throne. And with people, I mean, if there was a possibility to get him off the throne, they would take it. And he thought he'd eliminated all those possibilities. And in walks a group of wise men, magi, saying, oh, yeah, we're here because we saw this star in the sky, and, and we've read the prophecy, and we know that the king of the Jews has been born. So you can imagine he would have been totally paranoid. This would have completely freaked him out. So he devised a plan to deceive the, to deceive the Magi, and he wanted them to think that, oh yeah, I've been waiting for that Messiah. He wasn't. He wasn't a Jew. He could have cared less. But he's like, oh yeah, oh the Messiah, right, right, we were just talking about him, weren't we? You know what I mean? He wanted them to think that he was looking for the coming of the Messiah, and he's like, yeah, why don't you go find him? Go find him. Because, you know, I'd, I'd like to worship him myself. And so he's deceiving them into thinking he was on the same page as them. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 2, starting in verse 7. He says, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined that from the exact time the star appeared. And one thing you'll notice is you can tell he wasn't a genuine Jew because he didn't know the prophecies of where the Messiah would be born. The Jews were raised to know that stuff from little up. You could have probably pulled a 12-year-old Jewish child aside and said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. They would have known that. He didn't even know that. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and what? Worship him. I wonder if he stumbled over his words. So that I can come and uh, worship him. Because he wanted to kill him. Right? So I can come and worship him. Verse 9. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star 
which uh, had seen in the east went on before them until it came to stand over a place where the child was. Now pay careful attention to these next few verses. This might spoil some of your nativity scenes. All right. Verse 10. Uh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the... After coming into the what? What would you think that would say? Manger, okay? After coming into the house, they saw the child. You might want to underscore that. Child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I think it's important to remember that the nativity is not completely accurate. Okay, it's not It's pretty. I like all the lights. Neat for plays. Not completely accurate. It's, I'm not telling you to go home and burn yours. I'm just saying, you know, understand it's not completely historically accurate, okay? Because when the Magi arrived, they found him in a house, not a manger, right? And remember, the journey to Bethlehem, they didn't call Uber back then, okay? You didn't take a Greyhound. You didn't charter a Cessna. You, back then, you had to walk. I, had, I was told a story one time. Somebody told me, they said, hey, there was a young man who had really long hair, and his dad wanted him to cut it. And he said, Dad, I don't want to cut my hair. He said, you're going to cut your hair. He said, Dad, Jesus had long hair. He said, and Jesus walked everywhere he went. Give me your keys. You know, think about this for a second. There was no Uber. There was no trains. There was no public transportation. When you traveled great distances, it was on foot or on an animal. That's how you traveled, on foot or by animal. And also, remember, they were carrying gifts and obviously supplies for themselves, clothes and, and uh, things they needed to take care of themselves and food. And uh, they were carrying all that, so that necessitated they had to have a caravan. So they had to make this, this trip from Herod's kingdom to Bethlehem, Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And they had to make it bearing all these gifts with a caravan, with all their servants and stuff with them, with all the stops they have to make. I mean, how many times do we have to stop when you go on a trip with your kids, Right. Imagine, they're out in the desert. Can we stop? We need to go to the bathroom. We want a happy meal. I'm just saying they had to stop time and time again. So this trip took a long time. Now, if you talk to a lot of theologians, and I've said this a million times, they have a lot more time on their hands than common sense sometimes. But there's this great debate about how old Jesus was when they got there. I don't know why that mattered, but okay. There was a great debate. Some say that it was only a 12-day journey, so he was 12 days old when they got there. I don't buy into that one. Others say that he was a toddler, two or under, which is why Herod would have pronounced, go there and try to find the child and kill every child two and under, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Um, so the age has been debated. Now, I'm not going to go into the details because it's not pertinent to the Christmas story right now, and I'm not going to go into that because I literally could spend a long time you know, proving that point. But it is a great read, and if you have time, study that. But it's one of those things that cool to know doesn't change the Christmas story at all. Okay, now... The gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh uh, that the Magi brought for Jesus, that those are significant. They were significant gifts, and they had meaning. Frankincense was used uh, in religious worship. It was also used medicinally, and also it was used by both Jews and pagans. It was used that way uh, for worship. See, the Jews used it as part of the incense uh, they used in the tent of meeting. Uh, and it was also used in sacrifices in the Old Testament. It was used there. Now, traditionally, it was believed that it symbolized Christ's divinity. Frankincense symbolized Christ's divinity, okay? Now, myrrh was also used in religious worship by both Jews and pagans, and the Jews used it 
uh, as part of the anointing oil for uh, consecrating the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. Still to this day, a lot of anointing oil that, that people use when they pray has uh, frankincense and myrrh in it. Uh, and they both have been proven to have medicinal properties even to this day. So that it had a point. Now, it was also traditionally, be traditionally believed that, that it symbolized the death of Christ. That myrrh symbolized the death of Christ. Because if you remember, when Jesus was on the cross and dying, they offered him a mixture of oil and wine. It was myrrh and wine they offered to him when he was on the cross. Look at Mark 15.23. Mark 15.23. It says, they tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. It was going to be used as, as kind of a painkiller and to ease his, you know, ease his passing. Now, Nicodemus also used it for preparing Jesus' body for his burial. In John 19, 39 through 40, it says, uh, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, which was part myrrh, uh, as it in the burial custom of the Jews. Now, gold at that time, just like today, was very, very highly valued in any culture you went to. I mean, you could go to another country, you didn't know what was important to them, you didn't know what they ate, you didn't know what their religious beliefs were, but you knew one thing, if you had gold, it was king. If you had gold, they wanted it, it had great value in the marketplace, so gold was very, very important back then. Uh, and a lot of people back then, that was their life's drive, was to have the most gold back at that time. Now, when Herod ended up, when they... Uh, brought that gold. Gold just basically symbolized value, and it symbolized royalty. And they believed that Jesus was a king. I mean, they said that. They said that. Uh, they believed that he was a king, and they wanted to recognize that they believed he was royalty by bringing him the most valuable gift a king could have, gold. They were, it was an offering of gold to one they saw uh, as royal. Remember, they called him king of the Jews. Now, despite Herod's deceitfulness, I mean, they might have went there believing that Herod wanted to do good and wanted to come and worship. The Magi might have been fooled. But one thing about God is the enemy never can beat God. It never happens. There's no such thing as God losing to anyone, especially the devil. It's not going to happen. And so God was going to at all costs protect his son and protect his plan. Matthew 2.12. He says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So... Herod's plan failed. So he's sitting there waiting for them to come back, and they never showed up. And he starts, that's why when he said, well, I'll deal with that here in a little bit, but they were told by God not to return. So after that, he was enraged at the Magi. Now, notice he didn't go after them because he wasn't stupid. Uh, he believed they were powerful, and he knew kings respected them. If he would have went after the Magi, the kings of the surrounding nations probably would have sent armies to stop them. You know, so he didn't go after them. He was mad at them, but he didn't go after them. Instead, like the coward he was, he went after children. He wanted to take his murderous wrath out on children. Look at this, Matthew 2, 16. It says, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined from the Magi. Uh, then... What had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. 
So Herod got so mad that he thought, okay, the Magi said when they arrived, they gave him kind of a time frame of when they saw that star. So he's saying if, if Jesus was born when they saw that star, he took into account all the math of when they left and how long it took them to get there and the whole journey. He says, so it can't be over two years old. So again, he didn't want anybody to have claim to his throne. So he says, just in case, go in Bethlehem and the surrounding towns and any male child two years old or under, kill him. And a lot of people say, how evil were those guards that went out to kill him? They were also afraid for their life. Because had they not carried that out, they'd have been killed too. So it was the perfect storm of evil uh, in what he did there. Now, despite being pagans, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly here, but despite being pagans, I like the fact that the Magi were also called wise men. Now, you'll hear people, once they find out the Magi weren't Christian per se, they were just, you know, they had a common denominator, the great deliverer. But a lot of people say, well, they shouldn't have called them wise men. They were just pagans. No, they should have been called wise men. Because it takes wise men to recognize that all those prophecies about the Messiah that were coming true could only mean one thing. Jesus was the Messiah. Now remember, they stayed behind with the Jews. So you know that a scientific group of people like that who had a desire to know were probably reading the scriptures and all the prophecies. And since they had no horse in that race, they had no bias, they were probably standing back going, whoa, 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 wait. That's a prophecy fulfilled for the Messiah. Wait, did they say that she said she was a virgin and conceived a child through the Holy... That, that's part of the prophecy. Wait, where was, where was he born? That's part of the prophecy. And they probably went through all those prophecies and said, well, gosh, when we get to Jerusalem, they're going to be celebrating in the streets. Here's the prophecies right in front of their face. They have to believe this is Jesus. They were wise enough to know that the word of God is true and proves itself true. And when you read it with no bias and believe that God is God and look for the truth in it, you will find it. And they found it, being unbiased. They found the truth and they believed it. So in my mind, that makes them wise men, wiser than most, I'll be honest. Now, I truly believe, and I'll close with this, I truly believe if people would stop trying to figure out life on their own, if people would stop being so self-centered and step back a second, if people would play the long game, and by the long game, I mean, don't live today like you're going to live forever. Remember, today could be your last. What then? If people could be wise enough as pagan men to read the Bible, read the prophecies, see where it was fulfilled, and believe it, imagine what a different world we would live in. So yes, they were pagans, but absolutely, they were wise men. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Scotty if he would. To come down.